this morning, I just want to take a brief moment and give you a devotional, uh, something God laid on my heart, I think, when I was in recently in Boston, Massachusetts this past week, and in Providence, Rhode Island. And so I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, don't be afraid. Your turkey's not going to burn or get withered or whatever they do. Okay, I've got one page of notes. Okay, so don't be too concerned. Now, it is front and back. Okay, so... If it's not going well, I'll end it at the bottom of page one. We won't flip it over. Um, I want to just encourage you in the next 10 minutes or so to give you a reason or to reflect upon a reason to be thankful. It's a great time of the year to stop and think about the good things that God has done on our behalf. God has blessed us in so many ways. I think that there's a song uh, that I like to sing called 10,000 Reasons. I suppose you could come up with at least 10,000 reasons you should be thankful, 10,000 things God has done on your behalf or has invested in you or loved you. Uh, But this morning, I want to talk about one of those reasons, and I'll get to that by the end of our uh, challenge. I want to capture this morning what God's been doing in my own heart uh, recently in my time with him. Over the course of the last week, as I said, I was in Boston, Massachusetts, and Providence, Rhode Island. I got to spend time in the morning Mornings and sessions and the evenings, I was writing parts of my dissertation, trying to finish that off. I had, some, I had six or seven hours there where I could just focus and try to finish up as much as I could. Uh, but uh, I also took some time to reflect and to think about my own walk with the Lord and about what he was doing in my life and the life of my family. And so uh, that time for me started in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And what I like to do is just in these 10 minutes just trace a theme through the Bible, it won't be a full-blown exposition, but just trace a theme, biblical theological perspective of a theme that answers a question. And I think the question is, what does God expect from his children? What does God expect from his children? Well, that, answer, that, that question can be asked of either the Testaments. In the Old and New Testament, you could go to passages that talk about what God expects from his children. To me, there's perhaps no clearer a place in the Old Testament that describes what God expects from his children than Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. And so I want to read that with you. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Of course, many significant events occurred before Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the Old Testament scriptures. As you start reading in Genesis, you can see there's creation, but then there was the fall of man and woman. After that, you see in the book of Genesis that God is determined yet to bless men and women and mankind and to provide a way for there to be fellowship with him as the perfect God. And so... As you're going through Genesis, you can see how uh, through different covenants that God gave, through the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant, that God extended and gave uh, ways and means for people uh, to be able to have fellowship with him. And by the time you get to Deuteronomy, you come to one of Moses' speeches. The book of Deuteronomy is framed around two speeches from Moses as the children of Israel are seated right on the brink of the promised land. They're just about ready to get into the promised land. They'd failed before, but now they're ready to get in. And Moses gives this speech, this very important speech. It starts in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It goes the whole way to Deuteronomy chapter 27. Now, that's a long sermon. 
Deuteronomy 5 through 7, he gives a speech about God's, he reiterates the law that God gave him, God gave Moses and the children of Israel, and he casts a vision for what God would expect from faithful Israelites. And here near, near the beginning of that speech, he gives us the Shema. He gives us the, uh, the challenge uh, from God through Moses to the Israelite people that they would love God with all their heart, soul, and might. One of the things that's interesting to me as you study the book of Deuteronomy is this, this book that you think is about the law of Moses, which it is, is also all about the heart. So I did a, a brief study. I, I noted that the word heart is used 45 times in the book of Deuteronomy. It's a book where God is going after the heart of the Israelite people. And sometimes, on 31 occasions, God combines to the word heart the word soul. The word soul. The word heart speaks of, you know, we, we would think of as one's emotions, but here it's probably more the intellect of the person in the Old Testament. This is where they thought the intellect was from, or this is how they spoke of the intellect. The word soul, though, speaks of one's whole being, their life. And so when they're combined like this, this is a comprehensive way for Moses from God to say to the Israelite people, I'm going after it all. I want, I want your all. I want your whole being. Not just your intellect. I want your soul to love me. This phrase, this verse, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This, this phrase, this idea is found repeatedly then all throughout the Old Testament. And so in my own devotional walk with the Lord over the last few days and weeks, I started looking for this phrase in different places. And you know, when you see that phrase, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, normally it is a challenge to the Israelite people. Sometimes it's a rebuke to rebellious Israelites. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. But it was only on one occasion that I could find in the Old Testament scripture where it was used in a positive way to describe someone. And that's the second text I want you to go to. So turn in your Bibles to 2, Corinthians, or 2 Kings. I guess Corinthians comes out by default. 2 Kings chapter 23. If you could do that, 2 Kings chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, I'm going to read a little bit of a lengthier text here. You might pull one out. We've got them all around you, all around you in the chairs in there. You can pull one of those out. 2 Kings chapter 23, because I'm going to be reading a, a narrative of a king of Judah. That by the end of this narrative, this phrase will be used of him. Look in your Bibles at 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 1. And again, I'm going to read verses 1 through 25. So pay close attention. Then the king sent, and all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem were gathered to him. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, or book of the law that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, and all his soul, that sounds like it, right? To perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book, and all the people joined in the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah the high priest and the priests of the second order and the keepers of the threshold to bring out of the temple of the Lord 
all the vessels made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the hosts of heaven. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he deposed the priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to make offerings in the high places of the cities of Judah and around Jerusalem. Those also who burn incense to Baal, to the sun and the moon and the constellations and all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the Asherah pole from the house of the Lord outside Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and beat it in dust and cast the dust of it upon the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes who were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings for the Asherah. And he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had made offerings from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates that were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the gate of the city. However, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. And he defiled Tophtha, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no one might burn his son or his daughter as an offering to Molech. And he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the chamberlain, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire and the altars on the roof of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made and the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, he pulled down and broke in pieces and cast the dust of them into the brook Kidron. And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south and the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidians, and for Chamosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillar and cut down the Asherim and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel to sin. That altar with a high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mountain. He sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord that the man of God proclaimed who had previously predicted these things. Verse 17, then he said, what is that monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you've done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, let him be, let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria. And Josiah removed all the shrines, also the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord to anger. He did to them according to all that he had done at Bethel. And he sacrificed all the priests at the high places who were there on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. And the king commanded all the people, keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel or during all the days of the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah. But the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was kept to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away the the mediums and the necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and Jerusalem, that he might establish the words 
of the law that were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Look with me at the last verse. Before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his might, according to the law of Moses. Or did anyone like him arise after him? This text describes a new king that would come, King Josiah, a very young king. He would not be like his evil grandfather Manasseh or his evil father Ammon. But this king found the book of the law. Someone brought him the book of the law and he had it read to him and he realized immediately that the children of Judah and Jerusalem were in serious trouble. They neglected God's law. And so he responds immediately with brokenness and he leads the people. You see, he leads the people to destroy these high places where they were worshiping false gods. There are 10 acts that he does in Jerusalem. Once he's done in Jerusalem, he purges the temple there. He goes up to Bethel and he does the same thing in Bethel. And then he goes to all the cities of Samaria and he, he wipes out all traces of idolatry. And as a tribute to this king, it was unlike his father, unlike his grandfather, inspired and written in the Holy Scriptures, it says that this king pursued God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might. What an excellent tribute to this man. Young people, don't believe that you can't serve God while you're young. Josiah began reigning when he was eight, I think. His early years here, uh, just 17 or 18 years into being a king, he did all this stuff, and he, he led Israel or Judah in a different direction than others. Don't think that if your parents lead you in a way in which they're not serving faithfully, serving God faithfully, you cannot serve God powerfully. Josiah was different. He loved God with all of his heart and soul and mind perhaps don't have a lot of time or wouldn't have time to go to the New Testament text that we read as a scripture opening. But from a New Testament perspective, if you were to ask Jesus, what does God want from us? He summarized the law and the prophets with its greatest commandment, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's what he says in Matthew 22. And so Jesus who himself says in the book of Matthew that he did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill it. Paul as well, the apostle Paul says that we as believers are fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law. I think it's another way of saying that that is in the New Testament, in, in the church age, you know, the story of Josiah and the story of Deuteronomy, that's Israel in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, God's expectation for us to be very similar. He wants our love and he wants our loyalty. We would love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And so how would I encourage us to respond this morning to this brief challenge? First, I'd encourage us to reflect and to evaluate on this Thanksgiving. Do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? I mean, could these words that were used of a human being, Josiah, could they be used to describe the, the way that you live? What pursuits or dreams in your life do you substitute, substitute for loving God? Do you love God with all your mind? 
Do you love God with all your heart, your affections? Or do you want something more than him right now? Last night as I was reading the story of Josiah to my son Levi, right before bed, I challenged him. He said, God wants us to be like King Josiah, who would love God with all of our heart, soul, and might. Does that describe you? So I'd say first, reflect, evaluate. Secondly, confess where necessary. And third, in this I end, we should be thankful. By nature, none of us would love God with our hearts, minds, our souls. Actually, we would rebel against him. And so as you reflect this morning, I think it'd be good for us to rejoice in what God has been doing in our own lives and in the lives of our family and our friends, especially as God has given them any sort of ability to love him with their heart and soul and their mind. And although there are 10,000 reasons that you could come up with to be thankful for God, I think we should be most thankful this morning for the change that God is working in our own hearts and minds and in the hearts and the souls of our family and our friends through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's be thankful this Thanksgiving for marks of Godward love that we see in our lives this Thanksgiving. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to just briefly reflect upon this, this, this important text you gave to Israel, that you strung throughout the law and the prophets and the writings And you repeated to describe King Josiah, who took a stand and purged Judah and Jerusalem. Thank you as well that in the person of Jesus Christ, you reiterated this as the most important command found in the law. Lord, I pray that we would truly examine ourselves this morning and ask, do we love you with our hearts, our souls, and our minds? But then also, Lord, as we close, may we be thankful. May we be thankful for the traces, the the marks of your grace in our life whereby you enable us to love you with our minds and our hearts and our souls. Please, Lord, do this in an even greater way in our families. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.